So, welcome. You come uh, the week two, week two of our series called Devoted. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Devoted to God. Uh, and so we're going to focus on God, the Father, today. So it's good how the worship went. It kind of went that way anyway. So that's really encouraging. So devoted to God. Who or what are you devoted to? You know, there are so many commitments in our lives that we have. We, we've got commitments in the workplace, uh, commitments in our families, even in our church. But what gets your devotion? There's a difference. And devotion, the clue is that it's usually something or someone that you love. Devotion and love are inextricably linked because otherwise all you've got is religion. So devotion without love is religion. And that's not what we're called to. (laughs) God wants us in a relationship of love, deep love. And Jesus wants all of our love. (laughs) He wants all of our devotion, which is why he says to his disciples on one occasion, he says, if you want to be with me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. He's saying, I don't want any competition for your love. (laughs) I don't want any competition for your affection. I don't want any distraction, no other priority. Even you are not to be your own distraction. Deny yourself and follow me. He wants our whole lives dedicated to him. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brothers, a very strong phrase that he uses, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and view, look at God's mercy. Just take a look at it. Now offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable, this is the minimal act of worship that's required of you. You know, Jesus wants your time. He wants your attention. (laughs) He wants your energy. He wants your whole life, even our bodies, to be consecrated as temples to his service. He wants to be the love of your life. Did you know that? Jesus is not into half-heartedness or mediocrity. He finds this unpalatable inexplicable when you consider the demonstration of his love for us and the sacrifice he made. In a compromise, he, he writes to the church of the Laodiceans in the book of Revelation, he says, a compromise, he says, it makes me want to vomit. That's literally what he says. It makes me sick. I'd rather you were hot or cold, but please don't be lukewarm somewhere in between. It makes me sick. And if you've ever ate warm fish, you'll know the risk is there. (laughs) It's still there. It needs to be hot or it needs to be cold, but nothing in between. So are you devoted to him? That's the question I want us to look at. Are you devoted to him because he is devoted to you? You're loved with an everlasting love. You are loved By the Father of love, the God who is faithful and the God who is love. So where does our devotion start? Well, remember when you first gave your life to Jesus. You know, those 
first tentative steps and you wondered whether he could ever want you. You wondered whether he would have you, but you did it anyway. As best you could, you gave your heart to Jesus. For me, I was four years old when I asked Jesus into my heart. And you know, I'm not sure looking back that I really knew what I was doing. I really understood the full uh, implications of what this would mean for me to give myself to God in that way. But he did. He did understand it. And you know, I'm convinced that even though I was a child, he took me at my word in that moment. He took me anyway. And over the years, I can't say that I've been always wholehearted in my devotion to him. But without a shadow of a doubt, I know that he has been devoted to me. He's never wavered. (laughs) He's always been faithful. His heart for me has never grown cold. He wants our devotion. But it starts with us first giving our lives to him. But it continues with the rest of our lives being continually devoted to him. And whereas I'm convinced that our salvation is secure because this is his to give, our devotion takes place through a series of actions, decisions we take, and sacrifices that we make. So I just want to be really clear at the beginning here that his devotion to you is guaranteed. That is not in question today. But our devotion to him Well, that needs to be maintained, it needs to be prodded, it needs to be pushed, it needs to be challenged. And that's what I want to do today, asking these questions. Are you devoted to him? Are you more devoted to him today than you were this time last year, for example? Do you love him more today than you did yesterday? It's progressive. More devoted, more given more experience of his love that causes me to love him back. Are you? Or has your relationship with him cooled? Has it cooled at all? Now, perhaps it would help to give you an example of what devotion looks like. You know, in human terms, perhaps the example that can be given is that of Christian marriage. And it's so good to have a live illustration here today. Uh, So thank you so much for getting engaged, uh, Richard and Becky. That's just so helpful illustration for me. But Christian marriage is actually a picture of devotion. I mean, think about what marriage is. It's a profound dedication. It's a serious commitment. It's a decision to exclusively prefer to choose one another over the one another because of love. I remember it well. The decision that Alison and I took one extraordinarily rainy day in Manchester on the 24th of October, 1992. (sighs) Standing there, as we were, with around 200 of our friends and family. We're both in our early 20s, starry-eyed and full of love. And we committed ourselves to one another for the rest of our lives. And, do you know, looking back, it was an astonishing step of faith, especially for Alison. (laughs) It was an astonishing step of faith. I mean, think about the vows that we take at these moments. I mean, they were really serious. Will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Can we have the other picture? I mean, who could refuse? (laughs) 
I mean, just one look at that melts your heart. I know I'm biased, but come on. Will you take this woman to be your wife? You bet. That's what I said. And then I had to say the proper words. <laughs> and then it goes on. Will you take this man? And I held my breath. But she said yes. And then it goes on. And the implication of what follows, you have to work out together over the rest of your lives. Will you be devoted only to one another as long as, both, as, long as you both shall live? Will you love one another, honour and keep one another, whatever comes your way? When it gets tough, when you don't have enough money, when you lose your job, when you hurt one another, when you have kids or you can't have kids and you wonder what's going on, when you get sick, when you snore, (laughs) or when everything is great. You know, sometimes our greatest temptations, and I want to... If you're married, just don't be complacent. Because sometimes our greatest temptations come when everything's going really well. That's when the greatest temptations will come. But until death, will you still be devoted? Will you follow through on what you have promised? Will you still be committed to one another? Will you still prioritize one another? Even where there might be other seemingly more attractive propositions that come your way. Can you see? Marriage is an act of devotion, which is anyone who is or has been married will tell you doesn't end with the marriage service. It's in the years that follow the real work of devotion. The serious commitment that you both made is worked out in practice. But this isn't just a human picture. Actually, this is a picture that God himself completely identifies with. And this is where we see that marriage is not just a human invention, but a supernatural revelation of God's devotion to us. And we can see this, first of all, in the Old Testament, in God's devotion to Israel. So in Isaiah chapter 54, God says to Israel, For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. That's an astonishing, an astonishing revelation of God. The Lord himself is your husband. God chose the picture of marriage to illustrate his commitment to Israel in this prophecy. But unlike human husbands, you see, he has never wavered. (laughs) He's never wavered, even for a moment, in his commitment to his people. But his people have often wavered in their commitment to him. So in Jeremiah, he calls back Israel from its waywardness, exhorting them. Remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me. Remember when you stood before those people all those years ago and you declared your love in the presence of God and in the presence of man. Remember that. That's when the devotion started. And then we hear the cry of God's heart because of Israel's adulteries as they start to serve other gods. He calls it adulterous. You've committed adultery against me. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. And God's long-suffering marriage to his people isn't just an Old Testament concept in the New Testament 
Of course, it's his devotion to the church. Paul, in the face of the threat of false teachers, writes to the church at Corinth and he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. You see, the church is promised to Christ. And together, corporately, we are the bride of Christ. And we're kept, not thankfully by our own ability to be faithful to God, but by his faithfulness to us. So that at the end of time, you can go to the end of the book and see in the, re- in the revelation that we see the church coming down out of heaven as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Because it's all going to work out. Because Jesus will build his church. And I really don't believe that Jesus is returning for a bedraggled failure of a a wife who's just about made it to the altar. And she's a little bit dirty and all the rest. But he'll have her anyway. He's coming back for a beautiful, a beautiful, victorious, powerful, delightful bride. That the whole universe is going to stand by and say, wow. The wow of God is in the church. And in what he's doing amongst us. He's not returning for a failure. Because we live in the good of the Father's unconditional love for us. You know, we are loved with an everlasting love. Everlasting. And God, who cannot lie, has promised to be faithful to us. And his son Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, even to the end of time. Even to the end of time. Even till the end of time. That's beyond until death do us part. That's beyond. (laughs) That's into eternity, into the ages to come that have no time. He will be faithful to us. I mean, do you know how much the Father loves the church? Do you know how much he loves them? Do you know how much he loves us? He loves us so much he sent Jesus. His one and only son, he so loved us, he sent Jesus. How devoted is he to us? He sent Jesus even to die. And so we must be devoted to him. And we can be sure of his devotion to us because of Christ. And we are in Christ. When the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees us perfect. He sees us without sin, without spot, blameless. And his blessing, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, the pleasure of the Father rests on the church. Amazing. You look around and you wonder, don't you, sometimes? But then we can't see with God's eyes. We can't see with his perspective. We can't see in the ages to come. And the promise of God is sure. But ultimately our devotion to God is not corporate. It can't be. It can't be just the big picture. In the end it comes to each one of us. We have to devote ourselves individually to God. And the question therefore is not for the church but it's for you and me. And it comes down to each one of us choosing to live a life of devotion to the Son, to God, sorry. So it comes down to your devotion to God. I mean, even in the church, sadly, there are those who fall away, aren't there? You know, people who started out so well, their commitment so genuine, their passion so real, 
but then other stuff gets in. And so their devotion to God wanes and they no longer walk in relationship with God or his people, especially his people. Don't walk in relationship any longer. And this isn't a modern phenomenon. Actually, it's been going on for thousands of years. I'm reading through the book of Kings at the moment. I mean, it's quite discouraging read, isn't it? But take, for example, Solomon. I mean, he started out so well. Solomon. The son of David, redeemed by grace. What a picture. And, and it's just an amazing story. A humble, godly man, successful, the wisest man on earth. People would come to him from all over the world just to listen to what he had to say. The pearls of wisdom that dripped from his lips. And he even built the temple of God, which his father David wasn't allowed to do, even despite his greatness and his relationship with God. David wasn't allowed to build what Solomon was commanded to do. And he was gifted, you know, Solomon was gifted. He could even host the presence of God and bring the Ark of the Covenant into the heart of the temple. And the glory of God came and the priests were so overwhelmed they couldn't stand. And, and he spoke with such wisdom and he commissioned the people. He said, let your hearts in this place be wholly devoted to the Lord our God. Walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as you are this day. He started out so well. He got it all right. Such a good start, such promise, such wisdom, such gifting. I mean, what a ministry he had, an international ministry. But then we see later in his life that tragically Solomon fell away from God. In the middle of 1 Kings, it says that when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Other things got in the way of his devotion. Solomon's heart was no longer wholly devoted to God, but he turned away to other gods. And he loved them. And all the women that he lusted after in his heart, he didn't refuse himself, any one of them. He no longer kept the commands of God, but he gave himself over to sin. Gave himself over to it. What about you? I mean, what is it that you're at risk of at the moment? (laughs) What's distracting you from your devotion to God? What is stealing your love? Because that's what devotion is all about. It's all about love. What's stealing your love? What's drawing you? What's pulling you? See, I know that it's love that's kept Alison and I together all these years. It's love. It's not the vows that we took. And we meant them, you know, we really meant them as best we could. I mean, I cried most of the way through them. It came straight from my heart. It was the real thing. I meant it with all my heart. But, you know, I hadn't. I didn't have a clue. Really, I didn't have a clue. We hardly knew each other. And yet we said we loved each other. I found out it takes the whole of your life to find how, how much you really love one another. I can honestly say that I love Alison more today than I've ever loved her. But it's a series of commitments, a series of devotions. 
I'm going to keep loving her anyway. And she's had to do the same with me, I know. She's told me about it. (laughs) I'm going to choose to love you anyway. (laughs) Sometimes those decisions have been daily during difficult times. I'm just being honest with you. It's not a bed of roses unless you count the thorns that are in them. But it's that decision to keep loving that's kept our devotion. But, you know, it's the same with our devotion to God. He will never fail us. He will never stop loving us. He will never let us stand. But I can't guarantee me. I can't guarantee my heart. I can't guarantee what I'm going to be like when I get up in the morning. I can't guarantee what temptations I will give in to. Our devotion sometimes will fail. Other things will get our love and attention. And so we need to call one another back. (laughs) We need to provoke one another to love and to good works. We need to draw one another back. We need to love one another. We need to help one another. When one falls down, the other picks him up. And we need to teach one another. We need to provoke one another. We need a message that is radical. And so I'm going to keep preaching a radical message, if that's okay with you. I don't want to water it down. I want us to be passionate. It's one of our, you know, it's one of our cultural values. We've got to be passionate. Passionate for God. Pursuit of God. Pursuing Him. But here are some of the things I just want to run through quite quickly. Some of the things that I know undermine our devotion to God. And there are probably more, but these are the top ones. Other loves that pull us away from God. Number one is the love of the world. The love of the world. I mean, the the world is full of idols that can pull us away from God and capture our hearts. You know, the world with its shiny false promises, its magnetic glitz combined to steal our devotion to God. Lusts that can consume us, material rewards that trick us into thinking we have heaven on earth, so why do I need to go to heaven? And wealth that comforts and inoculates our souls from the reality of eternity. I'm so comfortable, I don't need to worry about what happens when I die. How many times have you heard that? And when these things happen, when these things start to pull on us, We fall in love with another other than God. An idol steals our love for God, which is why John tells us, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The two can't coexist. And Jesus warns us as well. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Because you see, in the end, what you love gets your worship and ultimately your devotion so that the God you first loved, you now despise. So has the world got you? (laughs) Is it tempting you? Is it drawing you away? Love of the world. The second one is love of self. Love of self. And that says, I... I'm going my own way, and I'm doing my own thing. (laughs) It's a kind of an independent spirit that says, I don't need anybody. I won't allow myself to be challenged by you, or by the Bible, or by God himself, because actually, it's all about me. 
It's all about me. And you think, well, surely not. I mean, how could you be a Christian and think that kind of thing? How is it possible? But I've just got to say that I have been around long enough to have seen the seed of self-love or pride grow and wreak havoc in the lives of several even Christian leaders over the years. You know, leaders that have started out so well, they've just got this phenomenal anointing, this, this worldwide ministry even. But it's all gone to their heads and they fall victim to pride. And you know what pride does? Pride insulates the conscience through self-justification. And it will often lead to a fall, as the Bible says. But guys, with the fall, count many fall. When a leader falls, many falls. Many are disillusioned. Many are hurt. Many fall. Great damage is done, even to the testimony of Jesus in the face of the unbeliever. When people fake it, when they do it to make money, they fall in the eyes of the whole world. And the other thing is, is that pride attracts demonic attention because he's the proudest of them all. I mean, who else would say, I'm going to set myself up in competition with God? That's how proud and arrogant he is. So James says, guys, you've got to submit yourself to God if you're going to avoid that. And then the devil will flee from you. So if you do the opposite, what do you think is going to happen? The devil will come to you. If you don't flee from, if you don't submit yourself to God, the devil will come to you. Submit yourself to God, the devil will flee from you. So watch out for the seeds of pride that isolate or elevate you from other people. Falling in love with yourself instead of God starts slowly. It starts with a refusal just to be accountable to other people, especially in areas of failure and sin. I mean, don't we all hate that? Don't we all hate it? We know I've really messed up. I need to go and confess this to somebody. I need help. But I'm too ashamed. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too proud. It's a, it's a thin wedge that leads to destruction. It starts there. Watch out for those early warning signs and put it right. If you're starting to go that way, just stop. <laughs> Don't go that way. And the third one, so that's, uh, what have we got? We've got uh, love of the world, love of self, and this is a strange one. You might not understand until I explain this, but the love of my pain is another love that many of us fall in love with. It's a strange one to put in, but I've seen it so many times. You know, people who hold on to disappointment and wear it like a badge of honour, people who nurse their wounds and cultivate their bitterness to rant against every church, every authority figure around them, because someone hurt them and God has disappointed them. And Hebrews 12 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it then that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And guys, we need to keep short accounts... We, we've already covered this. We're going to get hurt, all right? <laughs> the world is against us. Jesus told us it was going to happen. And sometimes even our closest friends are against us. Look at Judas. How did Jesus cope with that, huh? And it takes somebody so close to come and kiss me and then stab me in the back. 
we're going to get hurt. All right? We're going to get disappointed. It's going to happen. Jesus told us about it. So don't be surprised by this trial that you're going through. Don't be surprised. He told you it was going to happen. It's part of the battle that we're in, okay? So keep short accounts in dealing with areas of pain. Because if it's allowed to fester, bitterness creeps in. Uh, and our hearts grow hardened and, and our attitudes become resentful and before we know it we're hardened to God and we're far away from him and it's really hard to come back from that place and you know most of the pastoral work we end up doing with Christians is largely around these two areas of unforgiveness and disappointment which is why we're going to keep talking about it here okay <laughs> we're going to keep talking about those things uh, and help people to process their pain and deal with these areas of unforgiveness and disappointment because it's so important and we want to be devoted to God. We don't want these things to come in the way of us. So what about you? There's the list. You could have probably come up with one yourself. There's those three loves. Love of the world, love of self, love of my pain. Which one is at risk of taking you out this morning? Where are you at risk? Which one is tempting you? Look, this, I know, I know this, you probably just came for a nice Sunday meeting and, and you've kind of got all uncomfortable now. I'm sorry, this is a rad, I'm not sorry, this is a radical message, but it's what the Bible requires of us. Be devoted to God because he is devoted to you. Wholeheartedly, he is devoted to you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he even died for you. Be devoted to him because of his love. Be devoted. I'm sharing this with you today because I love you too. I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to slip away. I, I don't care if you go to another church or whatever. I mean, I'll be sad, but ultimately it's your relationship with God that's more important. I remember one of the turning points for me as a teenager was somebody sat down and said to me, it's okay to be a rebel. I thought, oh, great, Christian leader saying this. Be rebellious as you like. Be rebellious against the church. Be rebellious against your parents. But don't rebel against God. And I swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker, and didn't realize. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I can be a real rebel now. But actually, being devoted to God means I'm rebellious against everything else anyway because I'm going to obey what he says. I'm putting him first and I'm following him with my whole life. How about you? Do you know I'm feeling the spirit on this? I often know if it's a, if it's a significant message because I come under incredible hassle and flack. I have had the last two weeks of hassle and flack because God wants to do something here. There's something that he wants to do right into the foundations of your life. And I want to ask you again, are you devoted to God? Has he got you? Has he got your whole life? Has he got your whole love? You know, perhaps some of these other things, other loves have been drawing you. You need to change the way that you think. Repent and affirm your devotion to God. Surrender to him again. You know, we, we sometimes get criticized for having rededications. You know, you get the evangelist out and they preach an evangelistic message and then all these Christians come and rededicate themselves. Actually, I don't think that's a bad thing because that's devotion. It's a growing devotion that you're signing up to. Surrender to him again. Surrender to him again. And this isn't about religious adherence. You know what that is? That's just devotion without love. 
That's not my contention for you. It's about falling in love with Jesus all over again. It's about rediscovering your his first love, your first love. It's about rediscovering it. It's about wholehearted pursuit of God. I want us to be a church like that. I want us to be a passionate people like that. We just love God. And because we love God, we find we love people. We move with passion for God, which moves our hearts with compassion for people. That's how it works. Passion for God, compassion for people. I want us to be a church like that. But of course, we love not out of duty, but out of revelation. Do you know the Father's love? Do you know? Not know about Do you know it? Have you experienced we love because he first loved us? And, you know, sometimes this has been my experience in the hardest of times. That is all that I've known. That is the one unshakable with all the questions, with all the disappointments, the disillusionment. The one thing that I've been able to stand on and come back to is I know that he loves me. That's the only thing I've known. It's the only thing I've heard. You want a prophetic word from God in a difficult time? That's the one you need. He loves you. (laughs) He's committed to you. He's devoted to you. And then what I find is because I receive and experience his love, I find that even in the midst of hardship and difficulty, and I love you. I love you, God. I know, and it causes something to rise up in my heart, and I shout, like I did earlier. That was the revelation of his love all over again. Oh, my goodness. It's not just that you love me. I love you. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm excited about that. Please feel free to get excited at any moment right now. It's enough. It's enough. That's all we need. He loves me. That's all I need. He loves me. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He's jealous for me. He loves me. He loves me. Say that to yourself. Please join in. He loves me. He loves me. God, you love me. Father, you love me. I just feel like today... With the whole way the worship went, we didn't plan that. That was a God thing. We were ambushed. You do realize that. We were ambushed. He says, there's a wall. There's a wall of love coming towards you right now. We were ambushed by the Father's love today. The whole thing about devotion is just fall in love with Jesus again. Just get loved up again. Some of you just need to experience the Father's love. Yeah, I've heard this message so many times. Well, maybe you need to. Because you haven't got it yet. (coughs) Be devoted to God because he is eternally devoted to you.